<laughs> wanted to welcome you back to uh, Beyond Sunday. Um, sitting here with my two other compadres, Christian was right across from me, and you didn't laugh when we started, by the way. I didn't. You time. wanted to giggle, I could tell, but you held it back. I appreciate your, your growth, <laughs> your maturity that's happening as we begin to podcast more, and and uh, Spencer Bakush sitting over to my left, and and one of the things we always say about uh, Beyond Sunday and why we're thankful you're here is we we all three we love God's word and we love the truths the truths that are timeless, unchangeable, but change not only uh let me say this they do change they change us mm -hmm. that's what gets changed and so we're thankful for that uh these amazing ideals from the text that aren't supposed to just be talked about or thought through but also are to be brought to life and we think the best place to bring them to life is inside of a local church and our local church is cornerstone and uh so out of our relationship together we just wanted to have a discussion about specifically easter or Resurrection Sunday, or mm -hmm. whatever you happen to to call it, but I'll just say this: like it's, I don't know how you guys feel about it. It's, it is my favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. Like I know I'm a Grinch at Christmas. <laughs> I get it, and so the incarnation I understand is important. But I, like I love Easter. You guys don't agree? No, I I would agree. I think that I was going to have I, to rebuke you. I know. Good. I, I think. Unfortunately, at least for myself, not growing up in a church tradition that really practiced Lent or any sort of like a preparatory season for Easter, I still feel like most years Easter sneaks up on me. Hmm. And it's like, oh, we got like a week to go. You know, I, I, again, for whatever reason, the church culture I grew up in, we, we, we set aside those four Sundays of Advent and we had this great kind of like corporate preparation for celebrating Jesus's birth, his incarnation. And even still, I'm going, why, why don't we make as big of a deal? And sometimes I feel like it's because there's so many other dang things going on, sports and school schedules, and like just a lot more hubbub sometimes in the spring, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. So even now, like talking a little bit after Easter, I go, Lord, maybe next year I want to prepare my heart to to set this in its proper place as, a, as the biggest day of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my a lot of my heart just in us gathering, which... I mean, my wife and I both came home. I loved getting to worship with Cornerstone. Yeah. It was weird doing two services again. <laughs> um, I wasn't quite ready for it. But I think just seeing so many faces I hadn't seen and just being able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus was amazing. But one of the things that we want to talk about today that um, I was able to, to bring up and kind of just as we talked about the good news of Jesus around the resurrection is that no doubt there was a declaration of in his victory over sin and Satan and death, that we now as God's people, because of the work of Jesus, we stand rightly in front of him. We used to be guilty, but now because of the work of Jesus, we've been made innocent in the yeah. eyes of God. We are there's no there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus from that from that particular vantage point, which again is an amazing reality of it. But my heart was to say, hey, that's an amazing reality. But there's, you know, but there's more, yeah. you know, that that just reality of then him as this um, amazing God sends the honorable King Jesus to come mm -hmm. and in our place, bear shame and mm -hmm. through bearing shame in a very powerful way, then to be the one who now grants us to be a part of this amazing, honorable family, this family that has a good honorable father that mm -hmm. that isn't just any family but it's a family that has an amazing story to tell about about the goodness yeah. of Jesus. I think I think what you're what where you're going on that is 
that idea that the gospel is so much bigger and it's so 100%. much more multifaceted than I think any of us probably even still yeah. really understand. Yeah, it's a, it's a true diamond, right? You keep turning the diamond and you keep seeing these new facets that you kind of hadn't seen before. Yeah. And then even finishing with something that I think probably where a lot of our discussion will go at the end, but just is the kingship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. His victory. His victory, right? The What they call in theological circles, the Christus victor, the the one who reigns and rules over all things. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think like for us, like at least my heart was to say, no matter how big you think the gospel is, it's it's bigger. Yeah. It's yeah. more encompassing of life. It 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 is so powerful that it permeates into everything of who we are and and who most importantly he is. You had a thought. Well, it's just as you're talking through um, you know, the scope of the gospel, which by by definition, you know, is good news, you know. Um I think in order to really wrap our heads around what is good news, we have to understand the the effect of what sin did. But right? That's in, our in, next section. Don't go there. Okay. All right. I just got my hand slapped just for those people who were <laughs> that's uh, right. wow the head So I agree. And a lot wow. of my a lot of my heart was like in that is to make sure that we understood that the devastation and brokenness the. Right, in the same way that God's victory permeates every facet, I think sometimes we forget sin permeated every, right. every facet. Yeah. And so. almost that sense of not only did Jesus come to be the solution to the problems that I see, but he also came to be the solution to the problems I don't, don't see. see. Yeah, just because I, I don't know Yeah, that. just because I don't see them doesn't mean that Jesus didn't redeem it. <laughs> yeah, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. for me as a kid who grew up in the church, like, that's been such a joy over, you know, as I, got, I, I feel like I came to know Jesus at a young age, but yet... The more that, like, you peel back that onion, you see how many more layers there mm. is to what Jesus has done. Jesus gets bigger. There's more reasons to worship him. Amen. And I think that's pretty dang awesome. All right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in and maybe pull back a few more layers than what we were able to do, what I was able to do on Sunday. And just be able to not only to, to kind of land that all those layers out there, but I think even, too, I would love to get into, okay, so what is this? Let's, let's look at some more practicalities mm -hmm. of how this lands into our life. So that's what we'll do next. All right, so I'm I'm gonna jump the gun here. I got my hand slapped, so I figure I'll start this thing because that way I can't at least get told I can't have to stop talking now. <laughs> um, no, but we were just talking through kind of like this multifaceted aspect of like the good news of of what King Jesus did on the cross and then on, subsequently on the resurrection. But maybe we maybe in order to like frame out why that's good news, maybe we can take a few minutes and just kind of talk through a little bit more of the comprehensive story that culminates with that being good news. So I don't know, Christian, maybe tee us up on like one, maybe one aspect of going, okay, um, if we go all the way back to Genesis mm -hmm. three, maybe, yeah. and go, what does sin actually produce that then would lead to some aspect of, you know, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday being good news. So you yeah. can pick one theme and then we'll just kind of run a couple through maybe. Okay. You want me to pick one? Or, sure. Pick okay. one or two or... Or maybe I'll just throw a hook in all three and then oh, ten tee off. Do tea. it. How about that? So I think again, like one of the things that you Careful talked about. Careful, the will slap your hand if you don't do no, it properly. No, no, no. <laughs> you talked about Jesus being the one to bear our guilt, the 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 weight of our trespass, what we did wrong, right? And you very clearly see that in Genesis three. There's a clear command from God: you may eat from any of these trees, but the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat from it. And so when Adam and Eve eat from that tree, they have broken God's command. They are guilty of violating God's law. 
But we also see in that moment, their response isn't just, oh no, I've done wrong. Their response is to view themselves and each other in a different light. There is now a shame. There is something that should be hidden. There is something that, uh, that, that, uh, yeah, that I want to, want to hide from sight because it's no longer worthy. It's been defiled. I've been become defiled. And that hiding and making themselves close out of the leaves of the, of the, the, the tree and such, it's like, there's a, this need to hide, this need to put on an appearance, this need to hide my true self because my true self has now become something uh, uh, shameful. And then you also see the sound of God, or you hear, you read in the story that the sound of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve hide. They are afraid of God. And so there's guilt, there's shame, there's fear. All right there is the immediate effects of sin of the initial sin of Adam and Eve rebelling against God. But not only that, with uh, added to that fear is a sense they've now listened to the voice of the serpent. They obeyed what the serpent said, not what God said. They have a new master now. There is this enslaving reality to it. And so again, we we keep all those themes going and we connect all of those to that promise of the snake crusher and go, okay, Jesus doesn't just come to solve our guilt. How do we plug these other themes into it as well? So maybe that's where I'll tee it off to you and go... Take it and run with it. No, I think I think um, if we understand like what sin produced in humanity, like you yeah. just said, it, it does produce a degree of guilt where we are we have wrong standing before God. Yeah, you know, and that there's a need for justice. Um, but it also produces shame. That idea that we are ostracized, we're no longer part of the group that is honorable, but now there is dishonor and shame. Like that is the state of humanity: is that we are in a state of dishonor that we are outcasts. Yeah. I've, I heard somebody say at one time that kind of the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt is how I stand in relation to the command of God, the, the law of God, yeah. where shame is how I stand in relation to God himself. I, I am now not in an honorable relationship with him yeah. anymore. There's relational breakdown with him personally, not just with what he said. You know? Yeah. And you think about things that are defiled hmm. or dishonored. Those are the things that are cast away from. Hmm. You know, there's a there's a yeah. distance and a they gap. They get removed there. from the garden. Yeah, they're there's removed from the garden. Of... The things in a in a community that are defiled or dishonorable are outside of the city gates, hmm. outside of the walls. You know, in our community, maybe the things that are you know at the town dump. You know, the trash heaps. You know, yeah, we um, get excited on free dump day, not because we like being at the dump, but because we can throw stuff. Away. Yeah, get stuff, get rid of the stuff. <laughs> but idea that idea of of dishonor exists there. Um, and then that idea of fear, all of a sudden there's, we're no longer in right relationship mm-hmm. with God. And there's a, there's a, there's a relational angst that's created. And then you like you said, there's this idea of, um, enslavement. Um, but then if you take all of those things, Todd, where, where do you go? Like maybe tie this back to where you were in regards to with, with that being the reality of what sin has produced now tie into what you were talking about on Sunday yeah. about like, what is then good news? If this is the state of humanity. Yeah. I mean, the, the hard part was I only got to make some kind of brief statements about the brokenness of humanity off the front end of each of those kinds of concepts. Mm-hmm. But I mean, before I guess I get there, I love the fact that throughout the Old Testament, it's God not just seeking to solve one of those issues. He's constantly yeah. seeking to bring his goodness to bear mm, yeah. all throughout the Old Testament, right? Like, And so it's not like Jesus is the first time all this shows up and we go, oh, shut the door. Like yeah. This came out of nowhere. But that God's stepping into our guilt, mm-hmm. God's stepping into now our shame, mm-hmm. God's stepping into now this fear, and in a really powerful way, again, seeking to be redemptive and moving mm-hmm. the needle. 
And I think all of that then moving and pointing towards and then finally culminating in the work of Jesus, yeah. not just in his death, by the way. I feel like sometimes we we see everything is kind of done in, in his death and then, oh, that's kind of cool that he came back from the dead because I guess that just makes it valid. Yeah. Oh, no. Right. I mean, each of those two in in unison together pull that whole redemptive story together to actually make it good news. And mm -hmm. so... I think what's so amazing about it is just that flow of the Old Testament into it, where finally, man, the good news reaches its culmination in in the person of, of Jesus, in which in that moment, again, he enters into guilt mm -hmm. and defeats it. He yeah. enters into shame and defeats it. Mm -hmm. He enters into fear and through those realities, defeats them. I mean, that's yeah. what's so cool about what he, what he did in that moment. I think... Uh, one thing, uh, Jason George is this guy who's written a lot on yeah. ideas of honor and shame. I know he's been influential. I think on it's honorshame.com. Yeah. People want yeah, to he check still it does out. that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's had some blog posts on there. But um, I love the way he articulated in regard to shame. Not only did Jesus bear our shame and conquer it, but he, he talks about this concept of an honor debt. The sense mm. that God yep. is deserving of all glory and honor. And part of the problem of sin is that we have failed to show God the honor that he is due. And so part of the work of Jesus is not just bearing our guilt and our shame. The entirety of his life, his sinless life, his perfect obedience to the Father, as Paul says it in Philippians 2, even to the point of death on a cross, Jesus perfectly honored the Father on our behalf. Not only did he bear our shame, he bore the debt of the honor we owe to God. And in our place was completely honored honorable in the way he entered, he, he, he obeyed his father to the point of death. And we get to stand in that too. Like that made it where, again, not only the, the events of holy, of the passion week of Jesus's death and resurrection, but the entirety of his life is for us in that yeah. regard. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like we don't, I don't think we oftentimes equate his life into his work, hmm. Right. It's just kind of like, oh, he does some nice things, shows us how to live. And then all of a sudden does the real thing at the yeah, very end. Yeah. Right. But we miss the fact that, no, no, this was all part of the work. I think a lot of the early church fathers, especially like guys like Irenaeus, if you ever want to go read him. But he really did see the grand narrative of the life of Jesus culminating where even these facets of, of, of shame and, mm. and guilt and, and then even fear his life, he brought rightness in that yeah. moment and, and brought in the yeah. midst of, of fear, he, we demonstrated power, right? You see him all throughout his, his ministry. There is yeah. no doubt demons, uh, weather, right? Raising the dead. Uh, in, in each facets of those, Jesus steps into him and demonstrates in that moment right. a this powerful is a, reality. Yeah, this is where, for me, I, I love um, Luke 4, uh, 42, I believe, is um, right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, you know, the, the crowd is being amassed and, and, and Jesus says, um, you know, as the disciples are starting to chase some of these people away and, and, and Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God for I was sent for this purpose. And it's just a fascinating thing. So for me, as I'm as we're talking through this, yes, the issue of of guilt and innocence is is something that Jesus uh, re redeems and conquers. But but yeah, yes, he he deals with the issue of shame and honor, and it's something that he redeems and conquers and and fear, and he re reestablishes that right relationship. But I said I think all of that is kind of encapsulated in this idea of 
the good rule of King Amen. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, that proclamation of saying, this is why I came to, to proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. And then he bookends that before Pilate, right before he is crucified, when Pilate asks him, so you are a king? And Jesus says, he affirms it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the act of the resurrection, this is where I, I, I want to try to tie it all together if we can, because, um, and it'll come back to the honor, shame, and guilt, innocence thing. But how is how is the resurrection of Jesus a demonstration of his kingship? And I know you used to teach First Corinthians a ton, but how, how do you get there? Yeah, well, in many ways, you know, especially Christian, I think this is something you have mm-hmm. have really highlighted is the already, not yet, right? Mm-hmm. That there's no doubt when he was raised from the grave, he his kingship was made evident. He was truly at that moment coronated as who he is, mm-hmm. right? He he ascended to his rightful place. He goes back to the right hand of the Father, that position of power, honor. But I think sometimes we miss the fact that while he's been coronated, he hasn't consummated his reign and rule in this longing that we have in his rightful place that we see in the 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, where finally after all things are put under his feet, right? The last thing being put under his feet in, in, in that section, he puts death under his feet. He destroys anything that has ever stood against God permanently And then in a very powerful way, he takes those that God has given him, and he now, after writing them, after making these ones who are guilty innocent, after making these ones who are shameful now honorable, right? He gave them his glory, right? That's I think that's a powerful statement. And then he then takes these ones who are so full of fear and rightly now sets them into that position, as we talk about like power, and hands Mm. them back to the Father in his final statement of, I'm done. I have yeah. finished my task. The victory has been attained. Yeah. Period. And yeah, that section right preceding that is all about the resurrection. 100%. And go, yeah, how, how Jesus demonstrates that absolute authority over death is through the resurrection yeah, of and himself I, and then subsequently and of others. And keeping that whole weekend in together, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he's victory over sin, mm-hmm. king. His victory over Satan, king. His victory over death, king, but that was merely now the coronation of the king who comes yeah. back and rightly reigns and rules over all things. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like there are certain songs we sing at Christmas that would almost be better sung at Easter, right? Yeah. Like, like true proclamations of the king, you know, of yeah. going, you know, and, and again, not not splitting hairs there on, on Billy's choice of music there, but hey, we should be, you know, joy There's to the world. people that have split hairs you know, on his choice Joy to the world, the king, you know, anyways. Yeah, I think what you're bringing up, Spencer, is so key to this, where we were we were talking about yesterday in sermon prep, is for so many years we highlighted the Jesus as Savior, right? Which, man, I am, yeah, I am so thankful Jesus came to, to save. Like, all three of us are sitting in this yeah. room as rescued people. And so I, so what, am I, what I'm about ready to say is not to diminish that. I want to keep that elevated, but I think like in the midst of that, we lost the good kingship and reign and rule of Jesus. And again, even beyond salvation, just this, like you and I, all of us are talking about, Jesus isn't just reigning over our salvation. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it was a declaration of his reign over all things. That's why he's able to say, 
All authority in heaven and earth yeah. has been given to me. There's no place outside of the good reign and rule of Jesus anymore. He reigns. Now, he's he's bringing it to final bear in 1520 through 28, but I think sometimes we forget that is the culmination of the good news. Amen. Yeah. Everything's bringing to that point. The good news isn't just that I'm no longer going to hell. That's a wonderful reality. The good news is King Jesus reigns and rules and it will bring that reign and rule to its final end. Yeah, and again, this is one of those things where you, you have to put this, uh, even this concept of salvation, in the flow of the whole story. Yes. When God saved the people of Israel from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, was it to go, sweet? Yeah, we're done. Enjoy your freedom. Send me a postcard. Let me know how you're doing. No, it was, let my people go, Pharaoh, so that they may serve me. It was, they need to be taken out from underneath a, an evil, oppressive ruler who wants to kill them and brought under the good rule of God. And in the same way for us to view our salvation in the same terms, we have been freed from the oppressive rule of Satan and sin and death. Not to send God a postcard on Christmas and Easter to let him know how we're doing, but that we might instead live under the good rule of Jesus. And when we get into Second Thessalonians, we're going to see this even more, which will be fun. Yeah, especially the section that... Yeah, they, they're, I think there's some... I'm excited about the next section because there are some pretty crazy implications about the stuff that we're talking about mm -hmm. here. Oh. Like practically of going, if we realize that what the redemptive work of Jesus, like his death, burial, resurrection is a lot more than just me not going to hell. Mm -hmm. That there are, it's a proclamation of his kingship yeah. and it does redeem honor. It re, kind of reestablishes relationship, overcomes fear, all these things. The implications are, are vast. Yeah, mm -hmm. it puts them in in a beautiful context, right? That you were saying, my salvation needs a context mm -hmm. to sit into, or it's like, what, why am I Why am I saved again? Like, what's yeah. the point? Yeah. Um, even issues of honor, shame, power, fear, right? Without understanding the context in which they sit, they don't, they don't make any sense. But suddenly, once you put them in their context, and now we're called to live rightly in light of them, oh, it changes, it changes mm -hmm. absolutely everything in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, I mean, a lot of my heart on that, on Easter Sunday was obviously not to answer all these issues, but just to begin to hopefully, as we as a church, as we even begin to look into Second Thessalonians, see, man, the work of Jesus, the good news, no matter how big you think it is, it's bigger. And that's an adventure. Oh, man. which is a total adventure. Okay, so this is what I want to do next. I want to... I want to land this idea because it's right now, it's it's cool. Like, I love having this conversation, but I would even love to know from you guys. So how do we how do we land this into a local church, into, into relationships, into our personal lives, families, different things like that? So that's where I, that's where I want to go next. Okay, so there's the, there's the ideal, which again, I uh, anybody that knows me, that was always my favorite section to get to in 1 Corinthians 15, or actually all of 1 Corinthians was to mm -hmm. get to the grand victory of Jesus and all the implications that kind of flow out of it. But maybe Christian, why don't you set the stage for us just a little bit to kind of, how, how, how do we begin to kind of think through how to land these things into, into our lives? I, I think what the, the, the place that um, Spencer took us a minute ago from Luke four of Jesus defining his ministry as the preaching of the good news of the rule of God, of the kingdom, the kingdom. of God, that he framed his ministry as the announcement of good news. God is king. His good rule is being brought to bear through me, through Jesus. Now come be a part of that. You know, Mark 1 15 is initial message. Repent and believe this good news because God's kingdom is here. His rule is here. Yeah. Heal the sick and 
proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Exactly. And I think that that, that fundamentally shapes what does it look like for us to be, to be those who embrace Jesus as king? What does it mean to live under his good kingship? It is both to say, yes, he's my king and I want to follow him, and to announce that. Because what we believe is not just that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, but that by virtue of his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God, God has made him Lord and Messiah, as Peter says on there on the day of Pentecost. So this is news that is public truth. It is true for all people, whether they acknowledge it or not. But just like with Jesus, we announce that news, but we don't we don't seek to coerce or uh, manipulate people's, people's response to it. Here is what Jesus has done in history through his life, his death, his resurrection, to show that he is the one bringing the good, life-giving rule of God. Come, be a part of what he's doing. You don't want to be a part of that? Okay, that, that, is, that is your choice, but he's still king, and you will one day answer to him as king. And we say that again without manipulating or cajoling people, but just with the, what, what does Paul say there in, uh, in uh, is it at First Thessalonians? That by the open statement of the truth, we just com- we yeah. commend ourselves to you before, before God. This is, the, this is the matter at hand. Come be a part of this. And I think just initially, it's that sense of, I get to come from a place of humble confidence, not as the convincer, but as the announcer of this yeah. good news. Yeah, it's much more of a declaration hmm. than it is like, I think like what we tend to do is to think I need to I need to try to convince you. I need to try to and again I'm not opposed to helping people clearly understand it, but I think sometimes that announcement with just crystal clarity, we forget there's a power actually in just announcing the good reign and rule of Jesus over over all things, regardless of what somebody thinks about it. There's yeah. a there's a truth to it. Yeah, and I love where you guys are going with this one. I think as we're talking through the the complexities and nuance and how do we land this, let me maybe represent the other side of the, where do you guys see the danger or harm if we, because you guys are talking about like the good news of Jesus being the king as this multifaceted diamond or, you know, there's uh, Jesus being the king and the implications of living out the realities of like this new kingdom identity and and that's that's all really kind of expanding our understanding of the redemptive work of King Jesus. But what are, what about the other side? What if you reduce the work of King Jesus maybe to just one facet of that diamond? And you, you guys are tracking with what I'm saying? Nope, crickets. Okay, no. <laughs> there, there were head nods just in case anybody on the you know is listening. Sorry for the nonverbal communication. <laughs> No, but if, no if, we re- if we reduce the, the redemptive work of Jesus just to him dying on the cross, resurrecting so that people don't go to hell, and that's it, what are the implications for that for Cornerstone Church or for us personally? Yeah, or well, whatnot? I think we, as people that have been around the church for several years, we've seen the implication of that. Mm-hmm. I think what that's lent itself to is... Number one, the gospel as a declaration of escapism, if we're not careful, that somehow I my mere acceptance of this person that mm-hmm. claims to be Jesus is or assenting to certain a certain list of facts, or, or it could be like a set of factual mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to do. But then it, because of the kingship issue there, there's there's no need to see what the king doesn't currently 
rightly reign and rule over and bring it rightly into this place where he does rule and reign over it. And, I'm, and again, I'm talking maybe just initially in our own personal lives. But then the way in which now, if my job is only to get you not to go to hell, right, then we do get into the concept of just, well, we're just saving your soul. And then we start to bide our time until King Jesus returns. I think it sets mm. up weird ways in which we fight for the wrong kingdoms, maybe our little K kingdoms, yeah. versus fighting for the right kingdoms, right? The the good reign and rule of Jesus. We we just get all cattywampus because we forget that that again, the kingship of Jesus is meant to land into every facet of our our shared yeah. not only lives but our shared life together. And the one place that should represent that the best. Is in the church. Yeah. yeah, I've thought about it sometimes. My, you guys know, but my many of you at Cornerstone know my dad. He's the the guy who loves to give people hugs on Sundays. But and Hawaiian shirts and Hawaiian shirts. That's yeah. right. Uh, um, but he he's he's been in the insurance insurance industry basically my whole life. You know, I remember having a conversation with him at one point where he goes, "I and my staff we think about insurance pretty much all day every day." And sometimes what we have to remember is that our clients. They buy these policies so that they don't have to think about insurance all day, every day. They buy these policies hoping that they won't have to use these things, right? And I remember him saying that one time and thinking, wow, is that sometimes the way that 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 people perceive of the gospel? Okay, cool. I assented to these facts that kind of ensure my ultimate destiny. Now I'm going to put that on the shelf or in the file cabinet and hope I don't have to use it. And I'll let Christian think about it so I don't have to. Exactly, right? As opposed to, no, no, this is not an insurance policy for the future. This is the the the, the rule over my life and learning it. Like, Spencer, you've done such a good job with of saying, not just over certain parts of my life, but Lord, how do I learn to follow you as king in all of my life, particularly the areas of my life that I'd like to call the shots with, hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think if if one way I've seen this, if we reduce the gospel to that, just like that one facet of like Jesus just redeeming us so we don't go to hell, all of a sudden when, to your guys' point, I think sometimes people in the church then are ill-equipped for the issues that face us in society. And uh, was talking with someone probably a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Um, this is someone who's grown up in the church. They're in their late thirties, early forties. So, I mean, not, not new believers here at all. And coming out of this, probably what I would say is a one, one facet understanding of, of the, of what Jesus was calling us to. And they were reading through, um, the Sermon on the Mount mm. and which is really kind of a reorganizing of like what the re kingdom realities look yeah. like. And they said, it was the first time I realized I needed to have a heart for the marginalized, mm. whether it be the poor or the afflicted or whatever. And I went, wait, what? And they were like, yeah, I just didn't realize that we should have a heart for, for the marginalized. I was like, well, what did you, and their response was, well, I just thought Jesus didn't want me to go to hell. And I've never for you know, 20 years almost, never even considered how to engage mm. with those in our community that are on the margins. Well, I wow. think the those on the margins, if if the good news is merely about them escaping hell, well, my only job in the marginalized community is to go in and present escapism right. from yeah. hell. Right, right, right. Again, like I would, again, I want to clarify, I want people to not go to hell. But I think what that does is it, it doesn't have any aspects of the good reign and rule of Jesus, because when we're going sure. into these marginalized communities, 
they are sometimes I would say it this way, more evident places in which the good reign and rule of Jesus isn't seen, right? Yeah. We, maybe the more money and, and power prestige we have, we can hide those places a little mm. bit better. But those in the marginalized community, whether we're talking the young, mm -hmm. um, whether we're talking the widow, the the, the, the migrant worker, different yeah. ones. Those with disabilities. Disabilities. I mean, pick your, your group out there. Is that now for the to be this one in which we bring the good reign and rule of Jesus means as the good king came to reign by granting using his power to now lift up the weak, mm -hmm. right? Not as the means of oppressing or yeah. harming the weak. The, again, this is the when we talk about the kingdom realities, it's it's following in the footsteps of the king yeah, and, right. and demonstrating and to, that. To way. tie it all back to where we started. If we as kingdom citizens are supposed to live out kingdom principles, and one of the things that Jesus did was restore honor to the dishonorable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so some of these groups in the margins are outcasts. They are, mm -hmm. they're marginalized. They're pushed to the edges. The gospel demands that we actually go in and help restore their honor mm -hmm. through the redemptive work of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, that we bring about the, the, the power of the good rule of King Jesus, not through means of domination, but through servitude and going, man, we can empower these people because King Jesus is the authority. I mean, I just think going yeah, back to yeah. what you said, going, we have a, a unique opportunity to reflect Jesus within the marginalized communities when we live out and model Jesus to these people. We can restore honor. We can demonstrate what appropriate uses of power, not power to, yes, you know, but a power to serve, not yeah. a power to dominate. So you guys weren't in here. I just, with, with Billy, I just interviewed Shannon Sergi and she caught me off guard. Like I was, you know, I kind of teed her up thinking mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, why don't you help us understand? Like if, if God truly is the, the one who brings vengeance to bear on those, you know, we were talking about uh, first Thessalonians yeah. four. And I said, so what does that look like for you? And she goes, well, I think we have to start from a unique spot. And she started with Matthew 28. Mm. And she, she started with, I think we have to start with the good reign and rule of Jesus Amen. and his desire to bring about discipleship to bear amongst not just those who might we might think worthy or deem, but to the, and suddenly she starts talking about the marginalized community. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I, I, I just, I didn't expect her to go there. But in a lot of ways, this is what you're saying. If the grand commission, the great, the great call of Jesus for his church is to now, out of his authority, go and make disciples, it isn't merely a salvation-only issue. It is, no, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. I want you to bring where my reign isn't present, make it present yep. out there. And that changes the Great Commission, right? right. If the Great Commission go expand isn't just the kingdom of God. expand the king where the kingdom mm. isn't present, as it should be, go manifest the kingdom mm. in those places where you see brokenness and hurt. And, and not, again, not just the poor. I don't want to like there were the rich and those that yeah. caught it, right? Yeah. But there is this way in which we forget that the, the the Great Commission is bigger than a one faceted sparkle off of a diamond. There's a yeah. multifaceted reality to it. I think that's where like. One thing that I find myself coming back to more and more now in this current season of my walk with Jesus is looking at, okay, if if that gospel in terms of Jesus's victory over the powers that were opposed to him, human human authorities, Demonic. spiritual authorities, all of those kind of things, how did he gain power, victory over them? He didn't beat them at their own game. He played a fundamentally different game. 
whether it was the religious leaders in Egypt or in, in Israel, he can't, he was from the backwaters. The 12 guys he picked weren't people of status, right? It was, he, he was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to build this on a fundamentally different platform. How did he gain victory over Satan and demons in Colossians 2? How did he expose them to open shame through his triumph? Not through just a sheer overcoming them by his greater power. It was through a sacrificial death. It was, okay, evil, you can do your worst to me, and I'm going to rise again three days later, and you got nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think even that, like expanding our view of Jesus's victory by by not even beating power at its own game, but in a fun in a in a posture of service, it's the upside down kingdom totally flipped. And I think mm -hmm. again, if I think of this just in terms of my personal morality, my future heaven when I die, then I'm going to go. Okay, when I encounter problems in the world around me, when I see things going away I don't like to, I'm going to try to pull on the same levers of power as everyone else on me uh, around me does to try to bring about the change that I want to see. Instead of going, wait, Jesus has shown us a different path. Yeah. You call me teacher and Lord. And if I, your teacher and Lord, take this humble posture to serve, that's the example I set yeah. for you. And if, that's, gosh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around Well, that I think, one. again, it's like in the practicality of it is, you know, we work still kind of, you know, with the marginalized community. Obviously, how do we land it there? Yeah. But in some ways, I've been trying to figure out how do you land this as a dad, Yeah. as a husband? Um, what is it, you know... Uh, you were kind of talking earlier. I won't go into it today. Yeah, yeah. But this way in which, wow, we try to be the Holy Spirit in our mm. kids' lives versus entering in from a different vantage point where I don't have to cajole, control. You know, I need a parent. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the Spirit of God's job. I mean, it's just like this is such a different mindset shift yeah. to come in and go, I'm not going to try to, you know, dominate my marriage. I'm actually going to serve. I'm not going to try to, you know bring my thumb down upon my children. No, I'm going to rightly wash feet. I mean, it's, yeah. it is a it is this upside down kingdom in the display of the power of Jesus as the one who came to not be served, but to serve. Mm. The one who came and willingly died. The one who, again, didn't work by the world's playbook, yeah. but yet we came out victorious. I think this is something new, especially over the last two or three years that the church needs to rediscover. Mm. We don't need levers of power. Because our king already reigns and rules all, all things. We have the levers of power, right? And we miss that, I think. Yeah. That's where I think if I if I have ears from somebody who's listening to what we're talking through, I could very easily go, man, this, why don't I think this way or the struggle in it? And I think what you just said about, man, over the last couple of years, really seeing the gap of or a deficiency in only understanding one facet of the gospel. And I think this is where I think I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Just as someone who's spent years teaching God's people and, and shepherding God's church and going, if if we haven't done a good job of of teaching people mm -hmm. a, a multifaceted understanding of the gospel, and then we get frustrated when people don't respond properly because we didn't equip them well to respond appropriately... Mm -hmm. That's the stuff for me that I go, man, I just, I'm, I'm thankful that people at Cornerstone are gracious, but I also go, man, there's just been a long time. I think we've, I, I don't know. It's, well, I, think, I don't want to freak people out who are listening to this. No. and like, man, you guys are, it's something new or bigger. And I'm we like, were oh. all raised in an environment for the most part and well-intentioned, right? Mm -hmm. There was no, there was no ill 
or evil intention to this. It's that generally we have seen hell as right the the ultimate deciding force of why you should follow Jesus. Um, because we don't want you to go to hell. We love you. We yeah. we see the dynamics of it. so. I think I wish that we'd even get rid of the concept of hell and talk about mm -hmm. the, like fire, you know, yeah, something beyond that. Because yeah. I think that still doesn't do it. But that if that is all our good news is, that is such a shallow understanding of the work of God, going all the way back to the way we started this discussion. The the implications of the fall of humanity wasn't just a lake of fire. Mm -hmm. It was that all of creation was shattered, right? It broke in every facet, every form, all across the universe. And so therefore, I don't think we even think, wow, the longing of creation to be restored. Yeah. The, I mean, there's just so many yeah. implications here that we don't even have time to go down. But I think the good news is, for us, is that we, for the last you know few years, however, We've really been trying to think this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think just us. Several churches no, 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 are yeah. going, wow, like we might have missed it. Yeah. And and I think like to encourage people in the history of the church, that's the normal phenomenon. Yeah. Is that the church always tends to miss something. Even right now, we don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're missing something. Right. Right yeah. But I think that that what you just said, the thing that helped me start thinking differently about this was interacting with people who think differently. Oh yeah. In their life experience, their cultural differences or whatnot. I'm prone and you guys are as well, because I know you, um, we're prone to read through the gospel. We we read through Genesis three and we primarily going back to where we started, we primarily see sin resulting in guilt. Mm -hmm. And then subsequently the good news of Jesus is a restoration of our innocence. Yeah. yeah. And and then all of a sudden I remember interacting with people who when they read Genesis 3, whoa, sin actually put humanity into a place of dishonor. They are mm -hmm. now outcasts. They're cast away from God. And that was their primary point of focus and emphasis. And I just remember learning so much because they read through the text that way. And then the redemptive work of Jesus was largely about the restoration of honor. Yeah. And I just remember going, man, so just the value of interacting with people who think differently Especially think, culturally differently. Yeah, culture because the way they're interpreting the world and the way they read scripture is slightly different. Mm -hmm. I think that really helps us as well. Yeah, I would say one of the blessings for all of us is that there was a time period in each of our lives where we got to go outside of the United States. I think that's probably where I started to kind of maybe see it the most. Yeah. And to realize like these guys I was teaching in the north part of Africa didn't think like I did. Mm -hmm. But yet as you heard them explain the amazingness of God's word, it was just another dimension of that diamond, like a new sparkle that I hadn't seen before. True to the word, totally there, but it gave me a different way to look. And and I think that's where the for the journey we're on is we're now learning the new, some of the new sparkles of this amazing diamond that we'll get to learn about for the rest of our life until Jesus returns or calls us home. Or... Yeah, and it may be new to us, but it's not new to the gospel. Mm -mm. Like this is what God has been doing. And even if we could only hear one note at first, you add that second one and that third, and now you've got this beautiful chord ringing that we, it's it's a fuller sound, a more beautiful sound. And it, and it just, again, it, it enhances our worship. It gives yeah. us new dimensions of seeing the beauty of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, how we want to follow Jesus. And that's the adventure of not being a solo disciple yeah. or even just a a, 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 um, a group of disciples that are only shaped by one cultural perspective. Man, I, 
I want to know all that I can worship God for. I want to yeah. see it, right? And I want my brothers and sisters to help me see that and vice versa. It's pretty yeah. dang cool. So when you were talking this last Sunday on Easter about the gospel being a little bit more, this is why I get excited about it. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's like trying to come up, bring it full circle, but this is why I was super excited and like, Todd, you, you missed, you, what about, what about, you know, but it's because there's so much more to this conversation. I, I mean, we yeah. could keep going, oh, but yeah. it's like. When you try to package something to 30 minutes, you're like, oh gosh, because you're to your point, there's so many things to say. And so, yeah. anyway, I just wanted to, we wanted to let you in a little bit. I, I, I pray this is helpful. Like I, my heart is for all of us as, as people of Cornerstone is that we never lose sight of the fact that no matter what we've learned, there's more to learn. And I think with even with each of these guys, I just have a sense of thankfulness. I don't even know anymore off of our discussions, what are your ideas, what are my ideas? I mean, but like, I think just that way in which we've shared life communally together in these relationships, the way God has used that in my personal life to just begin to see the gospel in a bigger, more broad way and to your point, to be able to worship Jesus in a greater way. So I want to thank you all for being here. Thanks for being with us beyond Sunday. Um, Like I always say, our heart is that you would see the amazing truths of God's word, Mm -hmm. these ideals that sometimes if we're not careful, we can just think about, but they're not just meant to be thought about. They're meant to be lived in relationship with other people, brothers, sisters in Christ inside of a local church. And it just so happens our local church is Cornerstone and we love it. So God bless you all. We'll see you.